than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, and thank you so much for joining us today. As a caregiver, I know your life is challenging and difficult, and time is a really important factor for you. So I really do appreciate that you've decided to spend some time with us today. So I have a question for you. What do you think that you are a supernormal? Do you know what that means? You know what? I have a feeling that many of you out there are going to find today that you really are a super normal. Absolutely. Dr. Meg Jay, who is a clinical psychologist, is with us today, and she has launched actually one of the most successful TED Talks to date with millions and millions of listeners. And she is with us today to discuss her book, Supernormal, The Untold Story of Resilience. Supernormals Outperforming the Past, The Journey to Overcoming Childhood Adversity. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Dr. J. Thank you, Meryl. It's great to be here. Thank you. So what does supernormal mean? What is a supernormal? Well, the word supernormal means what it sounds like. It means above the normal or average. And I'm using that word in place of or, you know, in, in exchange with resilience because, to me, that's what resilient people are. They have above-average outcomes after adversity. They beat expectations. They beat the odds. And what I like about the word is that it hints at how heroic that is, that it takes a lot of strength and courage to go out there and have a better life as an adult than maybe you had when you were a kid. So it's interesting that you use that word because you do use the analogy to superheroes, to Superman and Wonder Woman to kind of help explain what as a supernormal is. So where did that metaphor come from? You know, it came from my clients. Like you said, I'm a clinical psychologist. And what I have been struck by over the years was how few of my clients who I would consider to be resilient, that I could look at them and see that their lives had turned out better than one might have expected given what they'd grown up with, almost none of them identified with the word resilient that I would say, you think of yourself as a resilient person. And they would look at me like, I must be talking to someone else. And, And so... When I talked with them about that, you know, we noticed that the way we talk about resilience in everyday speech, we say people bounce back or they rebound, and overcoming childhood adversity is nothing like that. No one ever says, I bounced back from having a parent who was an alcoholic or a sibling who was mentally ill or a neighborhood bully, but what they did identify with, both as kids and teens and young adults when they were overcoming these whatever was in front of them, they often identified with the stories of superheroes, that they knew what it was like to spend their days dodging bullets and leaping over buildings and having an origin story that maybe people don't know about. And they, a lot of them also identified with that that end place of, you know, I want to put on a cape and go out in the world and do some good things and maybe help people 
in ways that I wasn't helped when I was younger. You know, it surprises me when I read that, that they don't see themselves um, as really being, uh, you know, above the norm of really being, you know, very, very resilient and being able to overcome the adversity uh, that many of them had in their ch- in their childhood. Right. No, I would say more more often than not, people who are resilient. I mean, you might say, "Oh, I'm I'm resilient." You know, I got the flu and I I got better quickly. But people almost never see themselves as resilient after they overcome something more significant, especially from childhood. And I think that's because we don't talk enough about how much work it is and how long it takes and how hard and complicated it can be. And so people think, well, well, I'll tell you what they often say is, well, if I was resilient, I wouldn't be here with you. I wouldn't need a therapist. When, in fact, one of the best predictors for whether or not someone uh, does well after adversity is whether or not they seek help, whether that's from friends or family or partners or aunts or therapists. Um, but there's this sense that truly resilient people do it quickly, they do it easily, they need no help, they bounce back, when in reality, that's overcoming childhood adversity is nothing like that. But that's why they don't see themselves in that word. You, you know, I agree with you completely. I used to um, tell my therapy patients that, you know, to walk through the door uh, to a therapist and and come there uh, for help and discuss and try to process and deal with what's going on takes tremendous courage. It, it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing and it really does take just tremendous courage. And I always admired uh, people who, who would come in because it's hard work yeah. and, it, and it does it take hard. courage. So It does. So, and you, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it, it does. And, you know, recently in the media, people, you know, we've been talking about how much courage it takes to speak publicly about difficult times you've been through or, you know, traumas or adversities you've faced. And I think we have to also remember that it takes a lot of courage to speak privately about those things, to tell someone, whether it's a best friend or a aunt or a teacher or a therapist, that that takes courage, too, just even talking about um, some of the things that we've been through where we felt alone and maybe no one knew, but to brave those conversations, it, it's very difficult and um, shows a lot of strength. So, Dr. J, I was actually going to ask you this question later in the show, but since we're talking about it, I'm going to, I want to ask you now. So, you know, people will often say to another person, you know, you really need to talk about it. Um, and very often the reaction is, no, what, what good is that going to do me? It's not going to do me any good to talk about it. I mean, leave me alone. I mean, mm-hmm. so what do you think happens during that process of just talking to anyone about it? And, and why do you think it's important? Well, it's so important, and it, it, and again, it does not have to be to a professional. And there's there's really nothing in supernormal that I don't have the science for underneath. So when I say talking helps, I'm not using a therapeutic cliche that there's all kinds of science that shows that people who talk about whatever they've been through, whether they're Holocaust survivors or they've been abused or they their parents went through a really difficult divorce, that whatever the case is, people who talk about it are physically and emotionally healthier um, than people who don't. And this is why, well, there are several reasons. One of the reasons is 
is that when we keep secrets, it literally stresses our, our brain and our body because we know we have something that we're afraid that other people might find out. And so when we talk to people, we think, what do I share? What do I not share? Who knows? Who doesn't know? And that is, that's stressful on the brain to keep that withheld. Um, it also, of course, makes us feel like no one really knows us. So we, if our best friends don't know some of our most significant painful experiences, no matter how close to that person we might feel that we are, we feel really that we're alone um, and that they don't really know us. And so we miss out on some of the healing benefits of feeling connected and feeling related to other people. And we also know that just putting um, experiences into words, being able to put our experiences into categories or, or make a story around it, that that has all sorts of benefits for improving our mood, improving our immune capacity for improving our health. Because that's, I mean, speech is so important to humans that that's really what we're designed to do is to talk about the experiences that we have. Otherwise, we're just left alone with them. So people always are kind of interested in, you know, well-known famous people um, that you would consider um, to be a supernormal, that are a supernormal. So, you know, give us some examples of people we we might recognize who are supernormals. Um, I talk about many in the book ranging from, I'll go into a couple in a little bit more detail, but, um, I, you know, ranging from Oprah Winfrey or Maya Angelou, Howard Schultz, Andre Agassi, Oliver Sacks, um, Sonia Sotomayor. I mean, I, I talk about a wide range of supernormals, people who have overcome difficult pasts, not to suggest that that's what you have to do to be considered resilient, because resilience is just adapting well. It, it's not becoming a celebrity um, or a CEO, but to, for so people to see, wow, I'm in good company, that I, other people have been through things like this, and they struggled too. And so um, two of the supernormals, the famous supernormals I talk about in the book, one is Maya Angelou, who most people know was sexually abused when she was younger. She was sort of shuttled around to different relatives. Um, her mom had a lot of problems being there for her as a mom. And then, of course, she went on to become so many amazing things, including an amazing writer and poet. And I encourage you to read her own words about her experience. Um, But when you look at her story, what she talks so in such a captivating way about how she coped. And one way she coped was she the good people in her life, such as her brother or her grandmother, that she took comfort and help where she could get it. And she also talks a lot about how she escaped into a bit of a fantasy world and that that helped her um, buffer herself between what was going on around her and and her own mind, and that ended up serving her well. I also talk about Howard Schultz, the chairman of Starbucks, and many people may or may not know that when he was growing up, his dad, he was from a working-class family, in New York, and his dad broke his ankle and lost his job and really was never able to be very gainfully employed after that, and they often were unable to pay for the doctor, were sort of chased by bill collectors, and so Howard Schultz decided, speaking of putting on a cape to help people, that if he ever made it in the world or he ever had his own business, which of course he went on to do, that he was going to help other people the way he wished his family would have been helped. So Starbucks is well-known not only for the coffee, 
but also for their very, very generous um, health insurance plans, even for part-time workers, because he knew what it was like to be a family or to be a kid and not be able to pay for the doctor. Actually, I never knew that story. That's a, that's the that's the first time I've heard of that. That was that was really interesting. Never knew that. Um, Meg, we only have a uh, a short minute before uh, the for the first break, unfortunately. But what do you think is one of the most important factors um, in being able to survive? Um, well, you hit it right there with the word survive. Um, that resilient people of all ages tend to go into that fight or flight, I'm going to fight, I'm going to get through it mode. And so most of them will talk about when they were kids, they were active copers, they were, you know, determined that whatever they were going through wasn't going to defeat them, they were going to find a way out. You know, they there are a lot of different ways to get scrappy and do that depending on your situation, but that was really their mindset of I'm going to get out of this. And so for many of them, there's that fighting spirit all through youth. And then oftentimes they get into adulthood and they say, okay, I fought my, my way out. Now what? Now do, how do I thrive? How do I become an adult that is different maybe than the ones that I knew when I was younger? We're talking to Dr. Meg Jay, who is a clinical psychologist and the author of Supernormal, The Untold Story of Resilience. When we return, I want to have a discussion with Dr. Jay about, you know, is a little bit of adversity okay? You know, does it really help kids uh, grow up and um, learn how to handle problems in their life, or is that not good? Stay tuned. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We're here with Dr. Meg Jay, and we're talking about super normal. So, 
Dr. J, when we're talking about resilience and children having difficulties, are we talking about a single traumatic event such as, you know, being, you know, in a hurricane, a natural disaster, maybe even a bad accident or wartime event? Are we talking about, you know, a parent who may have a substance abuse problem or is abusive? Or are they both relevant to, to the issue of resilience and being a supernormal? You know, they're all relevant. Um, you know, both, they're both relevant in terms of their adversities. One is obviously more of a chronic stressor, and the other is an, an acute problem. Um, my book is about the 10 most common adversities, which are not hurricanes, and you're far more likely to have a parent who's abuse substances than you are to be in a hurricane. Um, so they t- my book is about the, the chronic stressors. Um, whether that's bullying or um, domestic violence, something that impacts kids more than once, but, you know, again and again across the childhood and teen years. But all of all adversities inform each other, and you could um, see them, you know, somewhat on a spectrum. So what are the effects of experiencing chronic, chronic stress? Well, chronic stress in a, in a child is, is similar to like it is an adult. So if you grow up and you have an alcoholic parent in the home or you have a parent who's in jail or you have a very troubled sibling, then your body is experiencing stress um, on a day-to-day or, or week-to-week basis. And what that means is that millions of kids and adults, but we're talking about kids here, are living in a low level of fight-or-flight and that helps them survive and cope. Um, but what that also means is that they're overexposed to their own stress hormones. And stress hormones are good because they help us cope in the moment. They help us with fight or flight responses. Um, but over the long haul, too much is too much. And so that makes people susceptible to school problems, underemployment, uh, mental health problems, substance abuse, chronic disease, even early mortality. So um, that's why oftentimes you will find that kids who grow up with chronic stress, they may look very sort of bouncy, backy, resilient when they're young in terms of, well, they go to school, this seems not to be affecting them at all. But then it'll be years down the line, 10 years later, 20 years later, that they're struggling with depression or anxiety or in middle age years, um, heart disease, because they have been chronically stressed, especially um, during their formative years. Yeah, that brings up a good point. I mean, you have a child who is undergoing um, stress, um, and they seem to be okay. All right, so the tendency would be to say, wow, that's great. You know, they're really dealing with it. That's wonderful. I mean, what would be a red flag that would make me think I should do something um, right. with this child or talk to them? Well, that's, that's really the tricky part because it's the kids who show the red flags that we say, well, they're not resilient. You know, they're having a behavior problem or they're having problems in school. And actually, they're the ones that are saying, hey, help me out here, I'm struggling. It's the resilient kids that tend to suffer in silence. Um, And so it's important to recognize if we know that, um, you know, if your child, if you're going through a very difficult or painful divorce at home or your child has lost a sibling or your child has a sibling with big problems, that even if they act like everything's fine, 
it helps when we tell kids, I know you're doing well in school, but I can imagine this is also really hard. Um, or maybe sometimes is it, you know, is it not as easy as maybe it looks from the outside? To, to let them know that we can still empathize with them, that it's not easy what they're managing to pull off, even though everything appears to be fine. And that's great that they're doing well, but we still need to recognize how hard that is and that there's still maybe pain or worry or concern. They're just better than other kids at keeping that to themselves. So I just um, I just looked at an email um, that um, just came in, and, and um, Patty has a question. So um, it looks as if she's um, about to um, um, enter into a divorce, and now she's in a panic. Um, and, and her question is, you know, do, do situations like divorce always end up um, in childhood adversity, and and you know, h- how does that how does that work? You know, right. how sh- do we, should, yeah. How do I should I change my plans? Right. Uh, you know, I think it's important to recognize that divorce is not always an adversity, but also that that not every divorce is is a good divorce. I mean, in that we might want to may always make it feel like for our kids that it's it's going to be all upside or it's it's for the best. It, what's interesting, if you talk to kids, if you look at the research about kids who've been through divorce, they're often able to say, yes, it was for the best. So they get that and that that's, they're able to see that, that it, it's not that you should be making a different choice necessarily or the family should stay together, especially not if there's a lot of arguing and people are unhappy because that's chronically stressful. So you're not serving your kids to stay in an unhappy or certainly not like a high-conflict marriage because that's already chronic stress. Um, But for for us to be able to say to our kids, I think this is for the best, but I recognize that this is very hard. And so to see both sides, because kids can actually do that, but what they will often say is my parents couldn't, that they were so worried about ruining my life or making me feel bad, they kept always telling me how this was for the best. And that part... Kids can even see, but what they wanted to hear more of is that this is for the best. This is what, you know, the two of us have decided, and this is why. But we have room to understand, to hear that this makes you sad sometimes, or this is very painful, or you really miss seeing your dad. And so I think being able to stay open to the pain and to, and to have empathy for that helps it not be chronically stressful or helps it help kids not feel alone, but to feel seen and helped through what is going to be a hard time. You know, I think that is absolutely a really key point because I hear that in terms of adults with children, but I also hear that with adults with other adults. It's kind of like, well, I know it's hard, but you know what? You ought to get over it already. I mean, you're, you know, you're, parent passed away a year ago it's you know it's it was a year you know get over it already or you know you went through this you know tornado six months ago you're fine your house is fine you know get over it already um right it it's it's interesting that you say that because yeah yeah that people often i mean what people need at least for a starting point, no matter what the adversity is and no matter what the age, which you're, you're making a, a great point in that, is to start with the empathy of this has been really hard. 
And especially for something such as losing a parent at any age or losing a child or there being a divorce or whatever, but to acknowledge that it can still be really hard five years later or that it it comes back up again because of a wedding or a birthday or a graduation that um, that it's not it's not like we get over something in about a year's time and that's it. But the the pain can come and go, and if we can empathize with that, um, that helps people. Um, whereas I think a lot of times, if we go back to the divorce example, parents they're so they, understandably they feel worried, they feel guilty, and so they're alarmed by their kid's pain. Instead of, say, instead of saying, I can hear it and I can help you with it. So does childhood adversity always lead to being a supernormal adult? No, that would be great, wouldn't it? Um, and that's one of <laughs> yes, the things. Yes, it would. That, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that's one of the big mysteries um, in terms of, I mean, we know a lot about how people do it and and super, super normal my book is really about how how does resilience work and how does resilience feel and so we know a lot about how people do it but at the end of the day why one person can do it and another person can't i'm not sure we'll ever be able to explain and there's a great parable that a minister shared with me that captures the point and it so it goes like this that Two brothers live in the same home with a father who's an alcoholic, and uh, one of the brothers grows up, uh, the father's an abusive alcoholic, and one of the brothers grows up to be a violent man and an alcoholic also, and the other brother grows up to be an abstinent man and a model parent. And the minister asks both brothers, how do you think you became who you are? And they both said the same thing. They both said, given who my father was, how could I not? And what I think that parable shows us is that for some people, the, the sameness, the inevitability of sameness is there, of, well, I can't get out of the cycle or, um, you know, that there aren't enough strengths there to get out of the cycle. And for other people, there's a determination to do life differently than their parents or than their siblings or than their community, whatever the case is. But it's really a mystery in terms of, why one brother can do it and another brother doesn't. We're talking to Meg Jay, and we're talking about supernormals and resilience. So when we come back, I actually am going to get to the issue of um, adversity and how much is a little adversity uh, really beneficial uh, for kids, or is it not? And I also want to talk to Dr. Jay about uh, caregiving and what happens when you're suddenly faced with care uh, of the person with whom you um, had adversity. So... Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're with clinical psychologist, Dr. Meg Jay. We're talking about um, supernormals, but I also wanted to let you know she is also the author of an outstanding book called The Defining Decade, um, which you might want to take a look at. But we have two really critical, um, I shouldn't say critical, I, I, important issues um, that I really want to ask Dr. Jay about. And one of them is, Dr. J, we've done shows in the past on helicopter parents. We did a show recently on uh, American search for happiness and how this overwhelms them and impacts their lives, especially as parents. And the example our guest gave of that is, you know, a child who's having a two-year-old or a three-year-old who's having a temper tantrum on the playground and the parent approaches them and says, oh, you know, how can I support you in your in your meltdown? Um, so, um, and there's been a lot of discussion about that, um, that we don't want our children in the age of participatory trophies to fail or feel any unhappiness in any way. So we don't want children to go through terrible adversity. We don't want them going through chronic stress. But, you know, what do you think is the role of what I'm going to call in basic terms a little adversity or a common mm-hmm. adversity? And right. is there such a thing as that? Uh, yes. And so, well, let me back up and say that uh, 75% of us by the age of 20 will have experienced a significant adversity. And I mean... And I do mean, you know, domestic violence, uh, you know, a very disruptive divorce, uh, alcoholism in the family, abuse, et cetera. So as much as bullying at school, et cetera, so much as much as we might like to imagine that we can protect our kids from all bad things, adversity is coming. So knowing how to handle it um, in the small ways that it comes your way will serve you when you get to the bigger things that may come. 
Um, that said, of course, there's sort of normal developmental adversity, um, such as I was an elected class president, or I didn't make the the um, the crew team, or or hey, I'm on the crew team, and it's really hard. And parents should be uh, relieved to know that um, many many studies, human studies, animal studies big studies, so I'm talking about 2,000 subjects, ages 18 to 101, have found that people who experience moderate, diverse, I mean, moderate adversity are happier and more successful and more satisfied than people who have experienced overwhelming adversity, but also more ha- happier, more successful, and more satisfied than people who have experienced no adversity. So it is an absolute myth that people who experience no adversity are the happiest people. It's just not true, um, partly because adversity is going to hit everybody at some point or another. And so learning how to cope with whatever life sends our way is an opportunity, especially if those things are smaller, such as I'm not invited to a birthday party or you know, I'm moving across the country and that's really difficult and I have to start all over. But helping our kids face those things helps them prepare for the next thing that comes along. It makes them stronger. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I mean, children need to learn uh, coping skills because failure in some degree is going to happen. You know, you applied for a job and you didn't get it. You didn't get into the school you wanted. You wanted to be in the choir and you didn't get in. You wanted to lead in the play. Whatever it is, something is going to happen. Um, and, you, and I agree with you. You need to learn um, how to cope with that and how to go on. So let, let's talk about what happens um, with people that where it comes from adversity comes full circle. So in my work with seniors now and uh, and in Sarah Care, I see, I often are talking to people who are are just distraught um, because they now are faced with the care of uh, someone in their family. It could be a grandparent, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, someone who, with whom they had the issue, either um, the father who was an alcoholic, the mother who uh, had mental illness and was neglectful um, and abandoned them, and now suddenly they are faced with their care. Um, and the conflict is, is significant. Do you have any comments on that? Yes, and I'm so glad you raised that because I think that gets right to the heart of why people often don't identify with the word resilient because they think, um, because we don't talk enough about how often if you have adversity in your life, especially with a family member involved, it's not, it's not a one-time thing that you bounce back from. It keeps coming around in, in new ways. And so maybe you grow up and you have to figure out, gosh, how do I have a different kind of marriage than my parents? Or how can I be a different kind of mother than my mother? Um, and then just when you've got that figured out, as you said, your parents age, and then there you, you, you know, created a healthy distance, and life was working out, and then suddenly you're faced with this new um, kind of iteration of the adversity in terms of, what do I do now? My parents are ill, and this society tells me that this is on me to do this. Um, and so I think the first thing to acknowledge is that that is very complicated. There's no one right way. 
Um, you're not doing it wrong if you, you know, make one choice over another choice, but just to acknowledge how complicated that is for people to have to decide whether and how and when to take care or to look after people who maybe didn't look after them when they were younger. And um, for some people, they feel that it's the right thing for them to do or that for themselves they feel that they want to help in certain ways, but for other people, they decide that that isn't healthy for them and they just can't do it. And then, of course, there's you know many shades of gray in between, but it's an incredibly difficult position to be in. You know, it just dawned on me as I was listening to you that the other thing um, that I see happening sometimes is, you know, we all talk about how, oh, my gosh, I'm becoming my mother. I mean, there's a commercial out there now about a a therapy group about becoming your father, all right? I mean, we've all kind of done that, you know. I'm kind of, you know, screaming, you know, this is my house and my rules, and as long as you're under my roof, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly you're like, oh, my gosh, I became my mother, all right? I can just hear her screaming this, you know. So what happens though with in those situations with with supernormals? I mean they've they've had adversity, they've they've gotten through it, they've you know they're resilient, they've become a supernormal, but they must have those occasions and situations where they, you know, when they're stressed in their adult life that they begin to fall back on former patterns of those people. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Well, this is why it, in my book, uh, you know, in a way, the, the, I talk about different kind of case histories in, in the chapters, and throughout the book, people get a little bit older with each chapter, and then I start, you know, talking about what adversity looks like when you're a kid and how that affects you, and then you see people sort of struggling to get out of their situation and get out in the world and, you know, get, get a, new, a fresh start, and then you kind of see people figuring out, okay, I've got it going at work, but no one really understands what I've been through or what my background was like or what I go home, you know, what I kind of the phone calls that I'm getting from my family um, on my lunch hour. Um, and then the last struggle for most people are relationships in terms of um, realizing that you deserve to love and be loved, that that can be the most difficult place to be brave because often we're harmed in the context of relationships. So to go out there and say, I'm going to try again and I think I could find someone who doesn't hurt me and I think I could conduct myself in a way that was other than what I saw my parents do, that that is often really the last frontier. I guess I should say the next to last frontier because you brought up really what's probably the last frontier with people is, you know, being faced with being caregivers for their their family um, but for many people to figure out how can I be a different kind of adult than the one I saw as a kid is very scary, but also very possible. So we've all heard about the cycle of abuse and the cycle of violence and the cycle of depression and divorce, etc. But you may be surprised to hear that the evidence for those cycles is very thin, that most of the studies that those kind of terms are based on we're not well designed and that what we know now through more modern meta-analyses where we look at all the results and put them together is that sure, risk is passed down within a family that if you had a parent who was a drinker, you're at risk for drinking too much. If you had parents who were, were abusive, you're at risk for conducting yourself in the same way. 
But we also know that strengths within the person or within the family or within the community matter at least as much. And so the history does not have to repeat itself, and that isn't something that we hear about enough, that my clients feel like it's one in a million to be able to do life differently than they saw when they were kids, but it's not one in a million at all. It's very possible. So one of the other concepts you mentioned in your book is reboot. I, I found that interesting. What What is a reboot? A reboot, I love this, and you, you just mentioned my previous book. So my previous book was The Defining Decade, and it's for 20-somethings, and it's about how in your 20s, you know, it's kind of a big pivot point. You go out into the world and you move a little bit this way and a little bit that way, and that sets you up to, um, you know, go off in all sorts of new directions. And it, that's a little bit where the reboot is a bit where those these two books intersect because there's all kinds of cool research about how so many people who grow up with adversity, one way they are resilient, one way they have better lives for themselves as adults is that they find what are called second. So they make their way to college and once they're there, the world opens because they're certain, you know, they have three square meals a day. They've got, you know, doctors, health insurance, professors who can help them get the next step, et cetera, or they make their way to the military or they get that far away job that takes them out of that town where they're having so much trouble or they find a partner that supports them And so I think we don't hear about that enough, but if you look at the stories of resilient people, whether it's Oprah Winfrey or Howard Schultz or, you know, whoever, um, they talk about how that, that opportunity they had to get out, that thing that helped them reboot, start again, um, you know, just have a fresh start in life and that that often happens it doesn't have to, it's not limited to young adulthood, but it often happens, you know, when people, as soon as they're 18 or old enough to get out of the house or they make their way to college or the military, and then suddenly their life is more their own. We're talking to Dr. Meg Jay, who is a clinical psychologist and author of Supernormal. Um, we're going to take our last break, and when we come back, um, she's beginning to talk about how maybe it's not too late um, to become a supernormal, and, and I want to talk a little more about that and what's my first step to becoming a supernormal. I'm, I'm like ready to order a cape for myself from Amazon. It has my name <laughs> on it. <laughs> Stay with us. I think you should. (laughs) Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is 
requires less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We've been talking about supernormal. So, Dr. J, I said before the break, I'm ready to just go online and order a cape. But I'm an old broad, so I want to know, <laughs> is, it, is it ever too late to become a supernormal? Absolutely not, and that that's really a big message of the book, that resilience is not a bounce, it's not something we do once, it's something that is happening all the time, and actually since my book has been out, it's only been a few days, but I've been out there, the radio and the newspaper, I've already started to get emails from people who said, I didn't really... I wouldn't have considered myself resilient until I was 40 or until I was 52, that there's no expiration date. You're, you haven't failed. It's not too late if you're still grappling with some of these issues when you're 20 or 40 or 45 or 50, um, that you're still here. Um, and so it's never too late to decide I'm going to focus on how I'm going to get through this and how I could have a better life than the one that I've been living before. So do you have some suggestions, though, about how do you do that? Because I think a large part of the problem usually is is someone may be motivated, I want to do that, but they really don't know what to do or, or how to do it. Do you have any suggestions mm-hmm. for that? Um, yes. Yeah, so I would say be sure you've talked to someone, and by that I, I really do mean it can be a friend, it can be a sibling, it can be a minister, it can be a professional um, but that it's very difficult to make a plan or to have a vision for what is it I'm trying to do differently if, if you haven't been able to look at what's happened, what's gone wrong, what's my mission, um, you know, how do I want to help myself and maybe, like you said, put on a cape and help other people. So to start talking that out with someone because that makes it more real, we can feel seen and less alone and, less, and more able to do that. Um, the other thing I would encourage people to do is that often, and this is this is a brain thing, I won't get into it now because we just have a few minutes later left, but bad memories tend to be stronger than good memories. So we have a tendency to 
remember very vividly what went wrong in life, you know, who hurt us or when we felt harmed. But we're less likely to remember two things. One is what we did to get through it. So a lot of people already are resilient. That's how they've gotten where they've gotten so far. Maybe they want to go further, but their resilience is what got them this far, so far. And so to make a list of how did I get from that house to this one, or how did I get from that situation to where I am now, or from this town to that town, that what were the active things that I did? Because a lot of people are more resilient than they realize their brains just haven't been focusing on the ways that they were courageous and strong, and so they don't see themselves that way. The other thing you can do, and this is, you know, we've got the holidays coming up, um, is to make a point of remembering and giving thanks for the people who helped you get there or the people who have helped you along the way because, again, our brains pay more attention to the scary people than they do to the good people, and that's survival. Um, But we need to shine a light more on who has helped us, who has cared for us, who has loved us. And this is a great time of year to send them a note, send them a picture, send them a small token of appreciation, just to keep those connections alive in your own mind so that you can see um, that for every person who's hurt you, there's probably at least one or two people out there who have helped you. I think that's that's a fabulous idea, and and actually, what, that would mean so much to someone else to, you know, whether it's a teacher or where it was, you know, you know, a chaplain of some sort that, you know, about what they said to you or what they did that probably yeah. they didn't think very much about at the time. Yeah. It's really ha- it's really fascinating, as and you would you know this, Meryl, but as as a therapist. You never know. What was that? It's, it's never the 10 years you helped me was great. It's always that one thing you said that day, or you can think back to a teacher, that time that they did X. And so it's really fascinating, and I think to honor that and let people know how much of a difference that made is, is a phenomenal thing to do on both sides and to remember that sometimes you might be that person that we forget that sometimes we're the lifeline for a niece or a student or a client or a grandparent and to let, uh, let us be the helping figures and to um, show people how much they matter to us. I, I will tell you, though, I had being on the receiving end of that at times where someone says to me, you know, I remember um exactly what you said to me and they'll repeat it to me and then they'll say and th- and this is what it meant to me i mean it feels really good and i'm grateful that i was able to help but i will admit it's a little scary also um <laughs> that sometimes people remember exactly what you say because you know they could remember the good stuff they can remember the bad stuff you never quite know <laughs> It is. It is. It's, I mean, it's really amazing, but it, it goes to show the power of the brain. It, the brain does take in positive flashbulb moments. Um, it's just sometimes we have to work a little bit harder to remember that they're there. But it's amazing how much a loving moment or a surprisingly caring moment how much of an impact that can have. And sometimes we need, I'm not talking about making lemonade out of lemons, I'm talking about shining a light on a different moment um, in our lives sometimes. 
We've been talking to Dr. Meg Jay, clinical psychologist, who is the author of Supernormal, The Untold Story of Resilience. Meg, you've been a great guest. Um, can you tell us about your contact information, anything else you'd like to share with us? Sure. Um, well, what's out there that I would love to share are my two books. I write books because I love working with people behind closed doors, but what I find is so many people feel alone with the same problems, and I've realized that maybe um, getting those conversations out into the world would be uh, could help more people or it would be helpful to more people. So I've written two books. One is The Defining Decade. It is four and about 20-somethings about the unique developmental power of your 20s. And then the other is, as we've been discussing, Supernormal. It's the untold story of adversity and resilience. And it's about all those people out there. It's for all those people out there who are trying as adults to have better lives now than they might have had when they were younger. We've been talking to Dr. Meg Jade. Meg, thank you so much for being with us today. I mean, you're you're very wise, and we really appreciate your sharing that wisdom with us today. I, I, I think you've touched a lot of people today, so thank you so much for that. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So this is uh, Dr. Merrill, as always, at the end of the show. I ask you to think through doing just one thing for yourself this week. I mean, you're really important to a lot of people around you, so you have to think about doing just one thing for yourself. And maybe what you want to do is take one of Dr. J's suggestions and think through where you were, and maybe it wasn't the worst of environments, but there are always issues in wherever we are. And think through where you are now and try to make a list for yourself of how you got from one place to another or maybe even how you got through a difficult situation. Because when you look at that, you can begin to identify yourself for yourself, kind of that list of skills and talents that you have. And it gives you confidence and it gives you, I think, a feeling of comfort to know that you have those. And you know what? When the next situation comes around that is a little difficult, you'll know you're going to be able to get through that situation because you've done it before, you're going to be able to do it again. As a therapist, I always used to tell my patients, you know what, the problems aren't going to stop. You know, part of my job is to give you the skills um, to get through the next set of problems that you're going to have on your own, and you're going to be able to do that. And you know what? You're going to be able to do that. So sit down and just write it out for yourself and think it through. And then also, you know, if you can do write a note or an email or a quick phone call to one or two people who have really helped you in your life and something that they did um, that had a lot of meaning for you. And it could have been something very small, but your being in touch with them and telling them how thankful you are for that will really mean a lot to them. And you know what? It'll make you feel really, really good about yourself too. So Whatever it is, one thing for yourself this week, because you're really, really important to a lot of people. So take good care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.